You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider. Hey, happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome to the I-5 Corridor podcast. Tyson Alger here, joined by an incredibly mustachioed Aiden Schneider. Aiden, when when did that thing happen? I feel like I've seen you recently, but uh, that thing's beautiful. Well, first of all, thank you for noticing. Yeah, and, uh, it's kind of it's kind of impossible not to. You got a you got a great sized upper lip for it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Well, uh, I've been working on it over the holidays, and you know, it's it's always uh, I'm always debating in my head when it gets a little long. Do I trim it? Do I start over? But I just decided I was going to keep it growing for a little while, and I'm liking the way it's turning out. I mean, I feel I feel like that's the only real great benefit of of growing your facial hair out, anyways. Is like the things you can do with it as you're you're trimming down. Like it's almost a waste uh, if if you don't uh, take it out for a spin, if you will. Oh yeah, I've got I got albums of strange pictures from over the years of you gotta you gotta start from the the big block of marble, chisel it down, <laughs> do some mutton chops, you know, a goatee. Get a little bit of everything in there. Actually, actually, that's that's the only time I will ever be fresh shaven is if I, you know, you start like trying to even out like the handlebars or so, and then you take up one side a little bit too much, and then, uh, and then all of a sudden you have nothing, um, and you can't really be, you know, going around with a, a short mustache, uh, uh, you know. So <laughs> that's that's um, all that's all the freshly shaven people are just uh, people who are trimming who made a mistake. Boy, this is a great start to an off-season podcast, but that's what we are in, and that's kind of what we want to address a little bit, because for the last uh, last probably month or so of podcasts, we've been able to kind of survive on coaching turnover news, uh, uh, who, who Dan Lanning's filling his staff out with, and now we're kind of getting to the point where we're, we're two weeks before signing day, the Ducks are out, the recruiting, There's but there's not necessarily a ton happening on the on the home front. And then you texted me this morning like a gift from the heavens saying, I'm ready to talk about it, man. And Perfect for people timing. wondering what talking about it is, is for the last couple months, Aiden Schneider, Aiden Schneider of Oregon football lore, he's been getting back up on the bicycle. He's been going back out to the fields. He's been getting that right leg loose and he has been kicking the heck out of some balls. Aiden, tell me what you're doing and, t- and tell me why you are ready to actually finally talk about, is it a, do we call it a comeback? I'd say it's a comeback. Yeah. So I've, uh, I mean, you have, you have been here for years. Yeah. Yeah. The, so the last couple months, um, I made the decision to get back into NFL free agency and start pursuing playing pro football again. And that's after a break of say about year and a half to two years. Um, you know, I, I love the job that I have at a digital ad agency. Uh, it's been really good to me, but I just kind of had a moment where one of one of the COVID days, they're all, it's all a blur. I don't even remember exactly when it was, but I was just sitting at my desk working away. And I just kind of thought like, you know, I haven't kicked in months. Like I'd love to go out and kick. And then I went out and did it and, and loved it. And I just thought that I'd, I'd love to do this more. You know, I, I'd love to get back to where I was and I still think I'm young and have a lot left in the tank. So there, there's no reason to not give it another shot. Okay. So before we kind of get into the process of where you're at and, and how you kind of go about that process, uh, after your Oregon career ended, you graduated in 20, after the 2017 season, uh, you got a tryout with the chiefs 
Is that is that correct? Or actually, kind of just kind of take me through the timeline a bit about it to, from the end of your career into until uh, the dark day when I approached you about co-hosting a podcast about football in the state of Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I finished up my career. Um, actually, graduated a term early, so uh, I wasn't there for spring term of my senior year. I was back home in Portland training for my pro day. Um, and I felt like I was in a really good spot finishing my career. You know, I'd, I'd had a lot of success, um, being able to be a four year starter. Um, I was able to set a lot of records that I had my sights on after my first two or three years. And I felt like I was in a really good spot going into the draft and, you know, my pro day went really well. Um, I was just watching some of the film the other day, actually. Um, Cause as I'm getting back into kicking, I'm reanalyzing my steps and kind of going back over the things that have worked for me over the years. But, uh, I was, I was pretty confident that I was going to be able to sign as an undrafted free agent. Um, you know, maybe sneak into the seventh round, but that was never something that I expected. Well, let me interrupt for a second. Just where's that confidence coming from? Are you comparing yourself to other kickers or is it just like, Hey, like I'm like, I'm good at like, like, yeah, like, any other position going into the draft, you kind of know how you stack up against the competition, but I imagine kickers is a little bit of a different game there. Yeah, it's kind of a little bit of everything. It's, you know, looking at, at my resume and what I'd accomplished um, on the field in college, and then it's going to camps around the country. You know, I've, I've had the opportunity um, to be able to kick with a lot of great college kickers from around the country, as, and as well as, you know, some guys who've spent – seven, eight years in the NFL. So kind of just using all that to, to put it in context, but you know, it, it really does, uh, it really does vary by year. And you're not only of course competing with, um, everyone who's coming out of college in your draft class. You're also competing with every free agent, you know, really every guy who's played in the NFL or been in camps over the last five to 10 years. So, it's kind of unlike other positions where you, as you said, it, you feel a little more solidified in your status going into the draft, but with kicking, it just really varies year to year. Okay. So you, you were feeling pretty good about it. You obviously, where, where were we in the story? So I was feeling pretty good. Uh, I did a workout with the Seahawks before the draft. It was like the local day workout, which was Oregon, Oregon state, Washington and Washington state, I believe. Um, and one of the, the player personnel guys for Seattle came and talked to me before the workout. And he was like, hey, we've watched your film. You know, we, we really like you. We're going to give you a serious look. And <laughs> so that, that got me a little nervous, naturally. Um, that had to have felt, like, pretty cool, too. Just, like, Seahawks, Northwest. Like, I I'm, I'm, imagine you'd probably be stoked at, like, any opportunity. But also, like, let's be realistic. Like, that'd be bad. <laughs> that would have been badass. <laughs> oh, oh, it was amazing. And, you know... I think one of the things that I would do in moments like that, where I'd be a little nervous and obviously also excited is to just think back to myself as a senior in high school. If you told me I was going to be working out for the Seattle Seahawks with, you know, even an outside chance of getting signed, I would have told you that was beyond my wildest dreams. Um, but yeah, definitely got a little nervous with that. And, and the tough thing about some kicking workouts is really just, to put it lightly, no one cares about the specialists all that much. <laughs> right. So this was a workout with a bunch of position players. So, you know, you got your DBs, receivers, your linemen, linebackers, 
they're all running through the workout. And as a kicker, you basically get told you're going at the end when everyone else is done, but it's not exactly clear when that is. So that workout, I didn't kick too bad, but uh, I think my downfall was that I overwarmed up a little bit, but it was just uh, myself, Tanner Carew, my long snapper from Oregon, and our mutual friend who Tanner went to high school with, Tristan Vizcano, who's uh, with the LA Chargers now um, and played in a few games this year. But it was just us. Pete Carroll was out there. Uh, just the three of us, Pete Carroll and the special teams coach, really? walking around. Yeah, and Pete Carroll was like trash was he talking gum? us. Oh, he was he was smacking gum. He was trash talking oh, God us. Bless. <laughs> Every kick, he's like, this is going to be wide left. I know it. This one's going to be <laughs> wide right. Um, it was great, but uh, I kind of ran out of gas a little bit in that workout and under hit my kickoffs at the end. So, and you know, I got decent feedback from them, but you can kind of tell. We, would you rather have them do the kickoffs before, before the field goals, just so you can like put everything into the kickoffs and just be like, ah, I was tight. Uh, usually. Yeah. But especially with, uh, workouts with NFL teams, like they don't care how you feel and they'll like, they'll change right, stuff up yeah. at the last minute and all that. Um, but yeah, af- after that, I still going into the draft, I felt pretty good just because of the product I'd put on the field for four years, but, uh, I didn't get drafted. Obviously didn't get any calls the day of the draft. And, and I was just kind of, I was pretty bummed out. You know, I, I thought I wasn't going to get anything. And luckily I got an invite to chief's mini camp. Although sadly I found out it was not because they were interested in me particularly, but still a great opportunity nevertheless. So it sounds like the, the whole process, it doesn't surprise me that there are what some fans would consider to be bad kickers in the NFL. Cause it just seems like it's just such a, uh, a scattershot process in terms of like identifying players and giving them the opportunity. So inherently you must believe that it's a process that, I mean, you must think that in order to do this, that you could be one of those 32 kickers. Yeah, definitely. And and the way I've always thought about it is there's a lot of talent that goes into it, but there's also a lot of luck and a lot of timing. And a lot of times that means it's not the best 32 guys in the world doing it at one time. You know, I'd say there's probably, you know, 65, 75 guys <clears throat> who have the talent to be successful at that level. <laughs> and uh, it just comes down to who has a good day at the right time, who has a good day when someone's watching. And I've, I've never felt at any point like I should be in the NFL. Like, you know, I'm the best guy who's not in there because I don't think that's necessarily true. But I do feel like where I was coming out of college with my film, with my pro day, that I should have gotten at least a little more of a shot than I did to, to come into mini camp or, or training camp and compete for a spot. That, that's got to be um, kind of an interesting thing to nag at you over, like, a, I mean, just kind of have in the back of your head over, like, a, a period of time just to, like, because um, it's not like you ever really got like the chance to and like where they said no or or it's not like you play a position where your physical talents diminish like like a used car off the lot like the the moment you buy it like 
I mean, you, you can see NFL kickers that like really thrive in their late thirties into their forties. Um, how old was Morton Anderson when he ended up retiring like 50 something? Um, so, so what, so what was that? I mean, I, I guess kind of getting into it, getting into your head a little bit of just kind of having that, like I was a near NFL player. And then you're just kind of, I mean, no distress. I mean, not, not because this is what we all do, but then you're just kind of living a normal life in Portland. Like that, that <laughs> had to have fit, felt like kind of weird. Yeah. It's, it's just a situation where it's really hard to stay focused. You know, the mental aspect of it can get exhausting because especially in the situation I was in and the situation, a lot of free agents are in, you know, to get to that point, you've gone through your, your sports career and things have gone pretty well at every level. And, you know, that's not to say it's always perfect and that people haven't had to struggle or work to where they got to, but it's kind of the first time, uh, either ever or in a long time that you feel like you put on a really good performance and you're told we have no interest in you. Like when I went to yeah. Kansas city, I was excited to be there, but, uh, myself, the punter and the long snapper they brought in. Uh, our first meeting, we sat down with a special teams coach and he's like, Hey guys, thanks for coming out. We, we really appreciate you guys being here, but we're happy with who we have. And we're probably not bringing any of you back regardless of performance. So but not the now, best. Go, now go have a good day. Now go have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Not the best thing to hear on day one, but I don't think any of us were shocked. And I think we all understand that uh, you know, there's, there are a lot of friends on coaching staffs in the NFL and, and it happens all the time where one team might not be interested in you, but you put in a good performance there, you get some momentum, you get a recommendation that that can help you. Um, but, but during that mini camp, that was three of the best days of kicking I've ever had. Like in our <laughs> field goal periods, I was something like, I think I made 31 out of 33 and hit a 59 yarder with some, some crosswind going on the last day. And I remember coming off the field after that last field goal period and both the punter and the snapper were like, I know they said they're not bringing us back, but like they might sign you. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't want to get my hopes up, but I certainly had that thought as well. And then I went into my exit meeting with the special teams coach and I'm like nervous. What's he going to say? He's like, first, first words out of his mouth. So, so do you want to keep kicking? Uh, I was like, (laughs) Oh, this isn't going to go well. And, and, you know, he was, he was complimentary of me for sure. You know, he was saying they weren't really sure what, how I was going to be, what they were getting with me. Um, and that I kicked impressively, but that's just the unfortunate business of the NFL. You know, they had Harrison Butker coming off a pro bowl rookie year. So, from their perspective, why would they be looking for someone, you know? So do you uh do you get paid for mini camps at all? Nope. You get you get <sighs> flown out and, and you get your stuff paid for, but you don't make any money. Yeah, well do you have middle seat, aisle seat, window? Oh wow. I just remembered I have this story. So Yeah, this is good questions. This is why I do what I do, Aiden. Let's go. <laughs> let's get into that. So I had a middle seat. I don't know where my connecting flight was from, but you remember, uh, I think his name was Cody O'Connell from Washington state. They called him the continent, the massive, the massive tackle. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'd have to look up his exact measurements, but he's like, like six, eight, three sixty. 
So he was coming to minicamp too, and I got sat next to him on the plane ride into Kansas oh, City. On. Oh, it was brutal. Nice. I mean, he seems like he'd be like a two belt guy. I would think so. I mean, perfectly nice guy, but it didn't make for a, a comfortable plane ride. <laughs> I hope they didn't put him in like you guys weren't like in the emergency exit, right? I feel like that would be like to have a an offensive tackle blocking everyone. Uh, oh no, we were and 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 like hotel accommodations. What are we talking here? Like, uh, you know, nice uh, nice room away from the elevator. Uh it was. Well, there's a lot of people in there for many camp. Uh, yeah, we just had like a couple floors, just your standard uh, queen bedrooms. I don't know how that went for him because he's massive, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was not too shabby, kind of what you'd expect. Okay, so so that doesn't go well, and then are at that point are you just are you just done and resigned to, or or did you keep kicking after that? No, I kept kicking for a while because. I I definitely had an understanding going in that this is the type of process that can take, you know, two, three, four, five years um, if you're willing to stick with it that long. So I was definitely a little discouraged because things weren't going the way I had pictured in my head. But especially just given how well I was kicking, I still had a lot of confidence. And I did end up getting um, a workout with the Chicago Bears the next spring. With uh, after Cody Parkey double this doink, pre, was this yeah? Was this post double doink? It was post double were, were doink. You, were you out there on the streets with the rest of the Bears fans, like doing the the kick the the kick a thirty three yarder outside, like just hoping that maybe they'll they'll be like, oh shit, this guy can actually this oh, guy can boot it. <laughs> I wish I could have been, but yeah, that so I was uh, I was in the workouts looking for a double doink replacement, and uh, okay, so. I'm sorry. I'm fascinated. If if you are at the mini camp to replace the double doink, like what's the mood in that like locker room or whatever, like in that camp are guys like nervous, like, or are guys just like talking trash? Like, boy, I haven't, I haven't doinked in years. <laughs> well, we'll pull that quote. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's the really funny thing. So, um, in an effort to replace Parky, um, they had a couple individual workouts of like five or six guys. And, and I was in one of those. And then for their mini camp, I think they invited like eight kickers. It might've been, it might've even been in the double digits. And, uh, one of them, Justin Yoon from Notre Dame, I actually went to a camp with him later and heard this firsthand, but I remember reading articles and it was like the most asinine thing I'd ever heard. Cause they were like, these are new kickers, not affiliated with the team, not affiliated with the organization. And like the GM and head coach are watching and they made every guy attempt the kick Cody Parkey missed. No, which, no. Which just, just, <laughs> just solidifies that coaches don't understand kicking at all. Like you're trying to make one person atone for someone else's mistakes. Like, Way to make sure that those guys are completely thinking about that the whole time. Like it just blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, and then and then like any future thirty three yarder or whatever it is it, in. Uh, oh man! And I want to. Well, I mean that. Like maybe 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 that worked out well for you then. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm very glad I was not there for that mini camp. That sounds like a train wreck. But uh, one, I do want to use this platform here to say. That double doink was blocked at the line. 
a D lineman got just a finger on it, just enough. And you can see the rotation of the ball change. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that that little tip from the D lineman is what caused the double doink in the first place. And of course the bears who've been struggling as an organization for a while, get rid of Cody Parkey and he goes on to Cleveland to kick very well. So that's that. My, uh, um, good kickers don't get blocked. I mean, that's all I'm, that's all I'm saying. Like you, he should have gotten to it quicker. He should have changed the pitch of his, uh, who was the Miami kicker that got drafted? Was it like third round? And then it was just terrible his first year. Aguayo uh, with Tampa. Yeah. 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 Tampa. Sorry. Yeah. Did he yeah. survive? Uh, he's, I don't think he's with anyone right now, but he's, he's bounced around, um, some practice squads. And I think he, I think he made it to final cuts with the chargers a couple years later, but that was a fascinating story. Cause he's was widely regarded as the best kicker in NCAA history. And I think it's a real example of what can happen when you don't rely on the things that got you there in the first place. And I would right. imagine he was getting coached by a couple different guys. He was told to change some things and you know, it can really get in your head at that point. I imagine being like a very solid, like B plus kicker is probably like the best place to be because like, you, you know, you start getting thrown around like the, this guy's the best out there or, or he hasn't missed in 52 consecutive attempts, you know, like, that, <laughs> like, like, of course they're going to miss in those situations. Like you just want to be that guy where you're like, like, you know, like Schneider. Yeah. I think he's good. Like, and then, you know, you go out and do your job and, uh, the only time you really get shit is when you miss, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's always better to slightly under-promise and over-deliver. But, <laughs> or it's, uh, like, it's like if you if you, if you talk to any uh, long snapper or, like, actually, <laughs> more fun is talk to any, like, long snapper coach, like, when, a, like, a long snapper commits to a school and they'll be like, well, hopefully if I coached him right, this will be the last time you hear his name for the next five years because it's always that you only hear their names like when they screw up. And it's like every special teams coach likes to make that joke. And it's, ah, you know, I give it. I like history. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say, do they teach you that on day one of sports journalism class? I swear that's the yeah. only thing I've ever read about long snappers. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's like it's like that one thing. It's like maybe like two weeks into like, spring camp and like you're you're out of like the like the quarterback battle maybe change it running thing running story it's like well i'm probably not going to write about the long snapper during fall camp like maybe i'll give him a little bit of pub here during the spring and then it just yeah it's the exact same story everyone's written every other spring yeah you know like like those you like like yeah like those like <laughs> throwaway stories i used to write about the kicking the, the organs kickers you know you just gotta gotta fill some space every once in a while Ah, shifting it to me. I was just going to say, it's nice that you threw Carew a pity story once a year. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I, try, I, I tried when, when did Carew get drafted or he, or he signed <clears throat> with somebody like right out of the gate, at least undrafted, right? Uh, yeah, he signed I think with I was, Seattle. I, I think I was trying to do a pre-draft story in him because he was actually like, for, for being a long snapper, people were actually talking about him as potential as a potential draft candidate and uh, Tanner, if you're listening, I tried to get a hold of you. I think we were DMing, and then you just didn't call back, which is which is fine. <sighs> is okay, it? so like, why do why do you think after not kicking for a couple of years, like you can actually like still do this? Because I would imagine, 
I would imagine you can get back into the right shape. I imagine like, obviously, how old are you? 26, 27, 25. Are you, you're 20. God damn it. You're 25. Okay. So you're 25. <laughs> you're still, you, you still got room to go. Uh, but like, if I'm an NFL coach and I'm looking at this and I go like, okay, this guy hasn't kicked competitively since 20, like, how do you make your case? Cause I imagine you have to be like overwhelmingly good and, if you didn't get a fair look at your in your past mini camps and tryouts, like how do you think that's going to happen now? Well, I think that uh, really... I don't mean to grill you here. This is your podcast as well. Like you, <laughs> you can edit. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah, I'll see you in the editing yeah. room. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, that's that's a good question. Um, so I actually uh, I work with John Carney down in San Diego. Um, he's got a, a gym down there and works with kickers and. And one of the first steps when I wanted to get back into kicking was I called him up um, and, and I just asked him straight up kind of what you were asking me. Like, you know, I, you've seen me kick a lot. You've followed a lot of my journey. I've worked with you. Like, do you, do you think that's going to be something that hurts me significantly having not kicked in a little while? And, and he told me no. He said that there, of course, could be some coaches who would hold that against you. But the bottom line is, you know, most NFL teams weren't thinking about me on a regular basis back then, and they're not thinking about me now. So whether I'd been kicking the whole time and going to combines and just not performing well enough to get noticed, it's kind of the same thing. They're, they're not thinking about me either. So we do have that in, in common. Like, look at us. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why this works. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, you know, I, I talked to Carney, and he's a guy I, I trust a lot. And, you know, he's played 20-plus years in the NFL. He's been coaching for a while now. Um, so that conversation is is really what inspired me to to fully get back into it and give it another shot. So I have a, a combine coming up this weekend, actually, down in San Diego for the USFL uh, that Carney's running. So it'll be a good opportunity to – get back into the swing of things. And, and I've really been <clears throat> improving a lot and hitting the ball well this week. So, so I, I imagine like that's probably <clears throat> like in play too, is like, I, I can't imagine you're like NFL or busting this. No, no, because uh, that was one of the biggest lessons that I learned um, from my first go round is just that it is a process and, you know, it's possible to have really good performances and not have things go your way. But uh it, there's always another chance. There's always another combine to work towards. Um, <clears throat> so it's important to try. Did, you, did that... you try like the, like the CFL or like any of those, like other routes, like after post uh, NFL try? Yeah, I, I was open to all of it. The CFL is a bit of a tough one because they have limits on the number of Americans you can have on your roster. And so generally that and, means. And right as... now you look very American. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Uh, yeah. and so usually that means you have to both kick and punt and try as I might, I oh, just, gross. I, I yeah. can't, I can't punt. I can't do it. It's so hard. It just doesn't work for me, but I'd say one of, I mean, it's, it's, ba it's basically the same thing. It pre like, pretty much. Like, but, uh, you know, like, like this, this is just typical of people of your, your age and generation is you just expect things to stay the same and for it to work out for, like you have to evolve with the game, Aiden, if you want to make it in Canada. You know, um, I can, anyways. I could punt better than the man on the street, 
but uh <laughs> just not not quite to the professional level but uh yeah with with all those other leagues it's always so bizarre how they select players so like the AAF for example was a field goal only league no kickoffs teams just started with the ball at the 25 yard line um and the, the way they broke it down was each team would have a list of schools where they got yeah first round of that was that was a very confusing league it was and so what actually ended up happening was Matt Wogan who was my backup uh, on field goal for most of my career, who was an amazing kickoff guy that we had, got signed by that team um, in a field goal only league. And I called my agent up and I was just like, how, how does this get explained? Like, how does this work? And he was, he was also venting to me about it because he was getting frustrated because he represented Tyree Robinson, who at that point had been on multiple NFL active rosters. And my agent was trying to get Tyree's name in the draft pool and they came back to him and said, Oh no, he's, he's just not what we're looking for in the draft pool. Like he's, he's not at that level when they were letting multiple, (laughs) (laughs) multiple people in the draft pool who'd not even been to an NFL training camp. So that, that whole thing is just really bizarre and it can be really discouraging when you feel like you're getting close and then something like that happens. What sort of coin are you making in uh, the USFL as a kicker? I don't actually know. I would guess fifty thousand ish, between forty and sixty-five. I would guess. Wait, so I didn't know the USFL would start. No, oh, no. So sorry, it was the AAF and the XFL that came back, and now it's the USFLs coming back, which is the return of like the the long defunct league from the the eighties. Um, Jeff Perlman wrote a fantastic book about the USFL book, by the way, if anybody wants to check that out. So that's coming back and the XFL is coming back again too, isn't it? Isn't it like the rock, didn't the rock bought out? Yeah, I think the rock bought it. So who knows what that's going to mean, but it's, I think it's really exciting for kickers, uh, punters and snappers specifically, just because it's such an all or nothing position where they don't carry backups in the NFL. So having another place you can get experience is essential so that's a huge opportunity but for other positions as well and and guys who are you know on the bubble in nfl training camps to be able to sharpen their skills and continue to improve and really take another shot at the nfl football such a tough sport for that because it has one it has the largest rosters so there's a ginormous amount of players out there who played at a very high level who are better than 99 percent of the world at what they do who don't even have a chance to like, like sniff, sniff the NFL. And it's, uh, um, you know, it, it's one thing where like you look at basketball and, uh, I wrote about like Joseph Young a couple of weeks ago, coming back from, you know, f- former Oregon Pac-12 player of the year who went and played, uh, he played three years in the NBA. Then he went and played in China for three years. And now he's back in the G league scoring like 32 points per game. Like, like he's trying to make his path back to the N- to the NBA, but he's also pulled in probably about like $10 million in salary over like the last four years while pursuing that. Like, like they're like all those other sports because of how uh, global they are. There's, there's far more opportunities to pursue that at at a professional level. And uh, it's just something that you don't see uh, in football. And, and 
man, I, I hope some of these other leagues work out, but it just, it just seems like every few of these, every few years, well, maybe this is just recency bias because we had the, the AAF and the, the USFL thing, but boy, the, the NFL is just top dog. And, and it's, I don't know how much of a, a market there is outside of like the already like expansive college football market there. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be tough and, and hopefully it's something that is able to succeed over a longer period of time. And, uh, it'd be a great opportunity. And, you know, sometimes it's a little have... frustrating to think about the fact that, uh, if I, <laughs> I picked like the worst position in sports <laughs> to be this good at from a, uh, right. a professional, uh, prospects point of view, but you know, it is what it is. I've been playing, um, with a few, uh, college friends, we started playing, uh, have you ever played rocket league on oh, uh, like PlayStation or it. Xbox? Love yeah. It. I'm new to it. Turns out I'm like, I'm actually kind of pretty good and I haven't been good at a video game in a long time. And now I'm thinking about it. It's like, man, like what if I just picked this up 20, I didn't exist 20 years ago, but just what, what could have been like this instead of uh, a sports stream, this could have been a Twitch stream for uh, my just insane rocket league skills. But alas, it's never, it's never too late. You could start a, a sport I five corridor a video game division where you play, uh, you bring guests on and play Rocket League with them. You never know. Actually, uh, um, my my dad will talk about this all the time because he uh, or joke about it. He uh, he used to be the uh, the U.S. national champion, uh, U.S. national squash champion. He was the first player west <laughs> of the Mississippi to be uh, number one in the country, um, and he played on the professional tour for a couple of years too, um, and. All he says now is I should have played tennis because <laughs> he had to quit. You know, you, playing professional squash in the 80s, you're making less, much than, less money than playing pro professional squash now, which isn't a whole <laughs> lot of money. So, um, yeah, uh, I really wish my dad would have been a tennis player, and he's disappointed me ever since. So, love you, Dad. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think the squash salaries are now? Do, we have, uh, do you have any idea what the range might be? You know what? We are going to pull that up. I bet you, I bet you like some of the top players, because uh, like it's it's huge in like Egypt and like Pakistan. Uh, top squash players salary. All right, Aiden Schneider, do you have a guess of? All right, give me a guess for the top male earner in twenty eighteen. Like yearly earnings. For for tour, yeah, for money made from the tour. Wow, I have no idea. You you could you could tell me it was like thirty thousand or like two hundred thousand, and I wouldn't. Know. I I don't think it's two hundred thousand, but uh, let's two hundred two hundred and seventy eight thousand. Wow! At the end of last season, total compensation on the PSA, which is the Pro Squash Association World Tour, eclipsed six point four million. Which you know that's a little bit of coin, but uh, I'm pretty sure. Like if you win Wimbledon, I think it's like two point three million. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and like you should, going you to Wimbledon, Wimbledon would have been cool too. Yeah, God, thanks. You still got, you still got Rocket League. Yeah, yeah, I still, yeah, I still got Rocket League. You can make you can make unlimited money Twitch streaming when you convince a whole bunch of ten year olds to lift their parents' credit cards and give you some donations. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so what's your timeline here? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm leaving it kind of open-ended. You know, I got that, uh, got the combine this weekend, but, um, 
there are a couple NFL free agent combines um, in uh, February and March that I'm working towards as well. But uh, if I learned anything from my first go around doing this, it's that patience is really important and that you can, you can work really hard. You can kick really well and, and not have things go your way, but it's important to just stick with it because in the same way that it can be really tough and, and things don't go your way, all you need is one great day with the right person watching who, who needs a kicker or is interested in giving you an opportunity. And that's really all it takes. I, I expect if you do get an NFL tryout, uh, you let me follow you around hard knock style for the I five corridor behind the scenes. Uh, like, you know, if God forbid you happen to get cut, but you're at training camp, like, let me be in the room there with you. And, you know, like, I'll get the scene, I'll let you leave, and then I'll give him a piece of my mind afterwards. But, um, you got yeah, yourself like, a deal. this is this, I think this is why we actually started this whole thing, just to, just to get you back to the NFL. It's, it's just, uh, it's a Trojan spring. horse to get your name back out there. <laughs> it's, it's a springboard. If, if any professional football, uh, management is watching, give me a shot. What do you think? What do you think of Oregon's new strength and strength and conditioning coach Wilson Love? Uh, Oregon uh, Dan Lanning has essentially filled out, I believe, almost all of his staff to this point. They're all out recruiting. Uh, I I, I want to kind of highlight just briefly. You know, we're not going to go do deep dives on all these guys, but just to kind of you know get some names out there and, and so people know a little bit about uh, the new staff, especially uh, since Oregon's last strength strength coach was such a, uh, out there figure. Uh, I wanted to start with, with Wilson Love today. He, he was hired a couple weeks ago. He came over from Ole Miss. Uh, he's got an Alabama background as well. Uh, seems kind of like your prototypical fits the mold, high energy strength and conditioning coach. What do you think, Caden? Yeah, I think it's, it's great that we were able to hire a strength and conditioning coach who has experience as a, a conference champion in the SEC and a national champion as well, both as a player and as a coach. Um, you know, it's said a lot, almost as much as the uh, the long snapper not messing up. It's also said that the strength coach spends more time with the team than the head coach does. And so, especially when you have a, a staff change, you know, um, as much as the team's going to hear from their position coaches, they're going to meet with Dan Lanning as well a lot of the time they're going to be spending in the building is, is going to be those first off season workouts. And right. so, you know, having, having a guy in that position who's been around a winning program, um, both as a coach and as a player is going to have a lot of great insight into what that takes. And, you know, any, anyone who's been on a really high level sports team knows that the work you put in, in the winter months, in the spring and the summer really does set you up to have the kind of season you want in the fall. Was the, um, that was kind of like a big overarching narrative from the, the transition from the Helfer to the Taggart. And then Cristobal was just like, especially with like Feld was just like how much more work they're putting in, in the off season and the fourth quarter program and all that. Like, was that just like, was that a staff kind of, you know, gassing itself up or do you think there was actually that big of a difference between what they were doing and, and what was happening at the kind of the tail end of, of the Helfer Chera? Well, I think there were some real differences with what the strength staffs were doing, but I think it it was more 
kind of in the general philosophy than it was in terms of like implementing a bunch of new crazy hardcore stuff. Like I thought this was so funny. Um, the fourth quarter program was implemented after I left. That's, that's not a thing. The fourth quarter program is like extra circuits. Everyone in the country does that. It's, it's not some secret sauce. You know, I, I didn't have Feld, um, myself as a coach, but it looked like they were lifting more, they were lifting heavier, which I think is just kind of a different philosophy than Jim Radcliffe had before him, who is more about explosiveness and speed, like speed and plyometrics, right? Exactly. Yeah. But <clears throat> I think at the end of the day, things like that can get really misconstrued. Like Alabama wins, I guess not anymore because of Kirby smart in Georgia this year, but Alabama has was an absolute dynasty and won for so long because they had the best players and they had the best coaches. It's not, it's not a fourth quarter program. It's not that they're running more gassers than everyone else in America. Uh, like, yeah. Like when, when, when you're like all respect to Wilson love, who I think is going to have a lot of respect in the locker room. Cause he can point to be, he can point to, Hey, I was on the strength staff when Derek Henry was in there, but also like, <laughs> I mean, it's like the same thing. Like you, you remember like Royce Freeman in 2014 when he was an 18 year old freshman and looked like he was like a 35 year old, like gold's gym weightlifter oh. out of like Santa Monica, like, like Royce, Royce was yoked. <laughs> oh, oh, I know. I unfortunately lifted with him a few times that first summer and, uh, I did not lift much in high school. So it, it was a little, uh, it was a little rough for me watching how easily he was benching 225 on the first day. That, that was my, like my first fall around, like, like real, like big time D one, like college athletes. And it was just like, you're telling me that kid's 18. Like you've, you've got to be kidding me. Like he had, he had like the, he had like the, like the similar size, like shoulder boulders that were also like on his bicep boulders. Like <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. But I, I think, I think it's a good hire and you know, the, the strength coach is a very important position to fill. Not only from, the perspective of, of coming up with the lifting program and, you know, getting the team fast and strong, but they really are kind of an intermediary between the coaching staff and the players. And I think an, another, another positive about Wilson love is that he graduated from Alabama in 2013. So he's a younger guy. And we've talked about this in previous podcasts that there are a lot of benefits to having younger people on your coaching staff because He's not some old crusty guy who's, you know, been in the weight room forever. He's right. He's not a whole lot older than, than some of the fifth, sixth, you know, seventh year seniors, however many on the team. And I think that really comes through and helps you build a relationship where guys want to work hard for you. You know, they respect you. They listen what, to what you have to say in the weight room and, and they want to work together as a team and really get better. What, what do you think is like kind of the balance there between being the, uh, I mean, you missed him, so but I mean, you probably saw clips or videos. But I remember that first spring, it was just felled out there as like just screaming like all morning, like <laughs> just at, at, like let's get in. And like, I think that first year, like, it's definitely like I, I think it juiced guys up. It's just like, yeah, like this guy's ready, this guy wants to be out there. I think that was probably really hard to sustain over a of like a four year period, like, especially if you don't necessarily have like new guys coming in like the whole time. Like I, I imagine that's probably like a hard balance to, to strike between like 
Because, I mean, like, if, if you talk to Feld one-on-one, -on -one, like, outside of, like, kind of, like, the persona, like, he was an educated, like, you know, like, he went to school for this. Like, like he's super serious in everything he does. Uh, but also, it's just, like, I feel like, especially now in college football, like, the, the strength coach has to have such a, like, persona to him. Yeah, I I think the key to to that is just that strength coaches are always expected to be hyped up and, you know, the stereotypical strength coach is on their fifth cup of coffee when you show up in the morning. They're like blasting smelling salts in the weight room, that type of thing. But I think the important thing is just to be genuine and stay true to your personality because I think people can tell, you know, if there, if there are coaches who are like losing their mind, yelling and trying to hype people up and you can tell that's not really them. And, you know, I don't, I don't know about Feld myself just because I haven't had much experience with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, having a young, energetic guy definitely helps a lot. And it's cool to see when you have some of the strength staff um, who are younger guys, like you'll see, they'll be in there doing extra lifting with the guys, lifting themselves. And I think that adds another level of credibility too when you when you see the strength coaches practicing what they're preaching and you know some of them are squatting like six hundred pounds. It's crazy, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I I imagine like yeah, like that's I that's got to be like one of the best jobs out there if you're just like I love lifting, <laughs> like like because like, like basically you just get to live in like a state of the art facility. I mean like organs. Uh, there was, I forget who commissioned this poll, but there was, there was a story out there last week where all the high school, all Americans in the country voted again, that Oregon has, is, is seen as the best facilities in the country and, and their weight room is uh, fantastic. And that is after, like, it was fantastic before Feld got there. And then he also like had them, like, basically they threw out all their old weight machines and brought in all this new stuff too. Like it's, 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 it's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, like those guys are always, it just seems like they hang out there and lift and like, <laughs> like you know, like just get a yell and and be excited and yeah like between that and like uh i guess this is on the other end of the spectrum but i thought like being an mlb bench coach would be a good gig but that's just because you don't have to do anything <laughs> yeah i could i could see being a strength coach being awesome you get to work out and when you're not working out you get to watch other people work out and coach them and just well and, and like great to, for them. And, yeah and like I feel like it's just like a little bit more loosey goosey too. Cause like Feld like crafted his own like little brand and he was selling t-shirts and like all of these little things. Like, I, like, I, you know, that's probably not like what you're wanting out of like your offensive coordinator, but <laughs> like very true. And, uh, uh, one, one final point I do want to make on this podcast is that I'm, I'm secure enough to admit that Feld had and has a better mustache than me. I think we all know that, but I want to point out, I was the mustache man at Oregon before he showed up. Yeah. Well, okay. So there's, there's different levels to this because like yours, yours looks like yours looks like it would be naturally found on maybe like a state trooper. Uh, maybe like, <laughs> like you're pulling someone over, like, like it, it looks like it would appear in like everyday society in, in certain points. It's like um, the common man's mustache. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, or like you know, like there there is a chance that that just appeared on you naturally. Um, Feld's like you know he's putting product in there, it's twisty, turny, it's like like he's doing interviews about it, which I guess technically you're doing, but um, <laughs> looks like he's gonna yeah. I mean, at, at all times it looks like he was gonna bare knuckle box someone. 
Yeah, and and like the drop and of a hat. Get, you know, like I I don't mean to 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 assault this man's mustache. It is it is a very very great mustache. But uh, all right, we're here in the last second, last couple seconds. I want you to look straight into the camera and say why you deserve to be in the NFL right now. Right now or eventually? I don't know if I put, <laughs> right. I don't know if I'd put myself there right this second. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, a yeah. bit quick. You, 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 you don't you don't want to just drop right into uh, Lambo next next week and uh... Ooh. Yeah, give me a couple weeks and I'll be good. Actually, but, uh... actually, I I think I think this is where this whole thing's going to blow up because the coldest game temperature that you probably ever kicked in was maybe maybe like thirty two. I don't think you ever had a snow game. No, oh, no, it was snowing in Boulder. It was snowing in Boulder one of those years, just like flakes. But yeah. No, no real snow games. Yeah, sorry, you're out. Uh, this has been the official visit podcast. No, that's my old podcast. This is the High Five Corridor. <laughs> Woo! Well, we're gonna need to I'm hit t- the editing room hard on this one. Yeah, I'm Tyson Alger. He's Aiden Schneider. He's gonna leave me here soon. So, uh, yeah, see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>